the Lord, and welcome to our 30-minute podcast, The Elephant in the Room, with Bishop Michael Bellamy. Our podcast will cover various topics that are often overlooked, misunderstood, or even controversial from a biblical perspective. We're blessed to have a team of wonderful producers who want to make each episode of this podcast something that will be enjoyable and informative. I'm Elder Corey Bellamy, guest host and producer for today's episode, The Power of a Second Chance, Organ Donation. Our editors are Sister Satoya Clanton, Sister Tynika Harris Coronado, and Brother Howard Harris. I'll be right back with today's episode. Our guest today is Deacon Henry Young. Praise the Lord to you, Deacon Henry. How are you, sir? I'm good. How are you? Doing well. I want to welcome you to The Elephant in the Room with Bishop Michael Bellamy. Thanks for having me. Deacon Henry, you've been a a lifelong brother and friend. You are a medical professional and a recipient of a life-saving kidney transplant. Congratulations on your transplant. Thank you. Thank you. And congratulations on yours. That's something we got in common. <laughs> yes, um, we, we have a number of things in common. We both grew up in the same church. Uh, we share family members. Mm-hmm. We share, um, as I mentioned, church. We, we have common beliefs as well. Mm-hmm. National Donate Life Month is observed every April. National Donate Life Month helps to raise awareness about organ donation encourage Americans to register as organ, eye, and tissue donors, and to honor those that have saved lives through the gift of donation. There are more than 100,000 Americans waiting for a life-saving transplant. In 2021, there were 14,000 deceased donors and 6,000 living donors. According to the Centers for Disease Control, African-Americans make up the largest group of minorities in need of an organ transplant. Deacon Henry, again, thank you for for being with us. I'd like to ask, when did you become aware that an organ transplant was required to save your life? I would say probably around the second time that I was getting a transplant because I've received three kidney transplants in a lifetime. Oh, well, so far, I would say. The first one was eight years old, and I wasn't really, like, I guess, aware or conscious enough to know, like, what was happening, what was, like, going on. It wasn't until the second one, around 2008, 2009, is when I realized, you know, the first kidney didn't, you know, go through, and that I needed a transplantation in order for you know, survival. Um, of course, you have like your dialysis, um, hemodialysis, which is through the blood, through a port. And then you have peritoneal dialysis, which is through the peritoneum cavity. So yes, you could be on dialysis for a lifelong time. But in order to have, I guess you can say, you know, a healthier state for kidney um, health, transplantation was needed. So I would say middle school, middle school age is when I knew and became aware of that. All right. So you were eight years old. 
your first transplant, mm-hmm. middle school during your second transplant. Mm-hmm. And when was your last transplant? The last one was 2013. So that was right after high school, actually. Okay. Okay. And um, so how long has it been since you've had that transplant? I think it's about to be 10 years coming up in October. Wow. We're going to have to throw a party. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> this is the longest lasting one. Thank you. Thank you. Yes, that, that's a good thing. Diabetes and high blood pressure are leading causes of chronic kidney disease, also referred to as CKD. Do you mind briefly addressing the issue or issues that led to your kidney failure? So mine's occurred while I was in the womb. So they already kind of dictated that, yeah, your kidney function is kind of bad. So when I was born, of course, you know, the kidneys weren't functioning at the level that it should have been as of a healthier person. So I would say they said it was due to ego barrack syndrome, which is basically like pond belly syndrome. So I guess like your, I was born with like my stomach was abnormally large than the average person. And that is what caused it. And then in addition, later on in my like childhood, that's when the, also the high blood pressure came in with the other symptoms. Now, if my memory is correct and and correct me if I'm wrong, I believe I remember your mother, Evangelist Angela Young, testifying that the doctors encouraged her to abort the pregnancy. Yes, they told her basically, you know, abort, you know, the baby because, you know, he's not going to have a chance of living. And if he does, um, it's a very small chance that he'll survive, I guess, within a certain window of time that they, you know, expected. But, you know, 28 years later, I'm here. So they were wrong. (laughs) You know, uh, I've heard your testimony. I've heard her share her testimony from a mother's perspective. And Henry, it still gives me chills. Yeah, it's 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 always like the first time I've heard it because, you know, I wasn't you know there when it happened, of course. But it's when I I guess when I started to get older and, you know, while I was in the church, of course, she was testifying about it. That's when, you know, I was like, oh, wow, <laughs> such a shock factor. Um, what the the doctors were expecting versus what God wanted. So. It's amazing to me. It's like every time I hear it, it's always like the first time I've heard it. If you will describe for us the medical testing requirements that qualified you for transplantation after your doctor recommended the surgical procedure. Um, so the different testings that they do that I can try to remember, because it, like I said, two of them happened when I was younger and one 10 years ago. So to my knowledge, they take a bunch of blood tests just to make sure that, you know, you're healthy on the inside. What their biggest concern is and the main question that they always ask you and they asked me when you, like when I got my last transplantation was, hey, like, do you have a cough? Do you have a fever? Like they want to know that you're, if you're sick and if you do have any type of slight illness, you won't be eligible to receive the transplant. So I would say the major testings would be more so the um, 
how sick are you or how well, you know, how well are you to receive the transplant? They do that through blood and mainly through um, asking the patient what their symptoms are. So, so it's, it's required to go through a medical regime, uh, eye, dental, blood test, and other items. Yes, yes. They have a whole process. You have a whole transplant team that will literally be like on you to make sure that you are staying on top of your health because you never know where you're going to get that call. And there was one time I got a call in the middle of the night and, you know, they, that's the first thing that they ask. Are you sick? Do you have a runny nose? Do you have a fever? Because we may possibly have a transplant for you. And you have to be on standby for a certain amount of hours to basically um, confirm that they do. Because um, sometimes when they get that call, it's not always a hundred percent. So, um, yeah, they'll ask you. Like I said, you sick, and if you are, then they have to pass it down to the next person. I remember receiving my first call, Henry, and uh, that night. I believe I hit every emotion on the chart. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. The first call that you received, were you a candidate or did they have to pass over you and go to someone else? From what I can remember, um, I ended up being a candidate. I was, think, I mean, yeah, I ended up being a candidate. Because when they called, because I'm trying to remember the conversation. Yeah, they called. It was in the middle of the night. And they said, hey, you know, Mr. Young, we may have a transplant for you. And I was like, okay, cool. You know, I'm not sick or nothing. And, you know, they give you the whole process of what to do before, intra, and post. So, yeah, I was. I haven't been passed down, thank God. I was, I was able to have my health. And in addition to the wellness check, they also, the major thing it's really, they want to take the blood to see if you're a match, to see what blood type you are, to see if that you'll be compatible for the donor's kidney transplant. Because, of course, if you guys have opposing blood types, you're not going to receive the kidney well. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. I remember hearing a story where a gentleman received the call. They let him know that they had an organ for him. He'd been waiting. His wife had been waiting patiently and supporting him. The phone rang. He answered. They said, we have an organ for you. And uh, they asked if he was available. He said that he wasn't interested, and he hung up the phone. His wife asked, who was that? And he said, that was the transplant center. (laughs) What? And um, she said, you better call them right back. (laughs) It was probably too late by by the time he called back. (laughs) As far as I know, he did receive the transplant. (laughs) Oh, okay. Good for him. Now, you mentioned that you were on uh, dialysis. Yes. And you mentioned the two types of dialysis, hemo and peritoneal. Which of the two were you on? Both of them. I was on hemo when I was younger. And then... After the second transplantation, that's when I got the peritoneal one. 
is there now hemo, you go to a dialysis center mm-hmm. and they filter your blood. Mm-hmm. They're, they're literally working with blood. On the other hand, on the other hand, if you're taking peritoneal, that's something that you can take at home. Is that correct? Yeah. So peritoneal, I took that at home. It was 10 hours a day. What they do is there's a solution. Um, I want to say it's about nine liters, maybe. There's a solution that goes into your body, cleans out your blood, and the solution is then drained back out. Of the two, which do you prefer? Oh, definitely peritoneal. Because that way I could just do it while I'm sleeping. (laughs) And again, your medical professional will have to determine which of the two is better for you. Is that correct? Mm -hmm. One deceased donation may save up to eight lives, restore sight to two people, and tissue donation benefits more than 75 people. A living donor can donate a kidney or a portion of their liver. Was your kidney donors deceased or living donors? First was living. Second was deceased. Third was living. How did you go about getting a living donor? Living donor. um, So the first one was my mom and the third one was my father. So basically they test their blood, test my blood. And if we're a match, then they proceed with the process. So it's kind of always easier to do it with, you know, not, of course, not everybody has that opportunity, but, you know, it's easy to do it with a living because, you know, it moves along quicker than trying to get a deceased one. Because not everybody is up to being an organ donor. I agree. I agree. When an individual receives another person's organ or organs, they must take immunosuppressants. Mm -hmm. Are you on immunosuppressants? Yeah, I'm on two, three of them. Well, two major immunosuppressants. Um, You have to basically take for the rest of your life as long as you have the transplant because even though it's still been, it's, it's been in my body for 10 years, the body still sees it as, you know, a sickness or a disease or a foreign object that they have to get rid of. So that's what the job of the white blood cells do is to attack and kill anything that the body was not naturally born with. That's a great way to explain it. A lot of people have the opinion that an individual has received a transplant it's time to pick up and move on with the rest of your life and all is well. Is a transplant a cure? It's not a cure. What it is, is a lifelong, you know, depending on how long it lasts, of course, a lifelong um, treatment. That's how I like to put it. Because you still have the disease of CKD, right? So getting the transplantation doesn't really cure that. It's a really great and very amazing life sustainer. So once you get that function and it actually acts as a kidney that you did not have before, you still have to stay on top of whatever orders are given by the doctor or else it will fail and die. 
Whereas, so let's say compared to the healthier individual, they can get away with things or certain choices than a kidney transplant patient wouldn't be able to get away with. Such as if they get the stomach flu, they will be, you know, all they got to do is stay home and drink water and all that. They're okay. They can just replenish it. Whereas like for me, when I had it about a month and a half ago, I had the stomach flu. It was an automatic, let's admit him because he's a kidney transplant patient. He's considered critical and severe dehydration um, can have a, a greater impact on me than of a healthier individual. We're either at the end of or have exited the pandemic stage. And a lot of people did not understand why it was important for individuals who have received transplants to take extra precaution. Mm -hmm. And as you've stated, that's because an individual who is on an, an, an who is on an immunosuppressant has a suppressed immune system. And it takes longer to fight off a cold or the flu. And as it relates to COVID, a rather healthy individual could potentially recover within days, whereas an individual who has, has had a transplant could be hospitalized. Right, right. Let's pause right there and go to our commercial break. This is Bishop Michael Bellamy. I hope you enjoy our podcast and subscribe to our Facebook page. You will find our weekly 30-minute podcast on many of your favorite platforms. Would you please tell your family and friends to listen in as well? We would also love to hear from you. Feel free to connect with us on Facebook and via email at theelephant2022 at gmail.com. All right, we're back with Deacon Henry Young, a kidney, a three-time kidney transplant recipient. You've had more transplants than anyone that I know, Deacon Henry, and I believe you can answer this question better than anyone else I know. Is it important to have a support system consisting of family, friends before, during, and after transplantation? It is. I would say more so before and during uh, rather than after. Um, I say that because when, so let's say all of a sudden, you know, your kidney stops working. They say, okay, you know, Mr. Young or Mr. Bellamy, you may need a kidney transplant. But for now, we have to put you on dialysis. So you run into having many thoughts in your head as I'm not normal. I'm missing out on life. I'm, you know, I have to sit and, you know, just waste time and just sit idly by while I'm letting a machine, you know, do the job of an organ that I don't have. Like you have so many thoughts that run through your mind where that support system is really needed to kind of snap you out of it. Um, Not to say that you shouldn't, you don't have the right to feel what you feel, but you shouldn't dwell there because if you, if you remain in that negative mindset of that shoulda, woulda, coulda, or always in the comparison stage of mindset, it can really consume you and that can affect your health as well. During the process is very important and key because when you are in the, I guess, candidate 
stage of receiving a transplant, it is important that, you know, you have your, whoever your support system is to make sure that you stay as healthy as you can to remind you of things that the doctor said. That's why, you know, when you receive information, don't only hold it to yourself, but give it to someone that you will trust that will help to hold you accountable to whatever the doctors ordered for you to do, to be ready, to be a, a, a ready candidate. I know once when my second kidney failed, the diet was the worst. I don't know. Everyone's diets is different depending on the severity of the condition. You're but, referring to the, the renal or the kidney diet? Yes, yes. So they were saying no phosphorus, no potassium, no sodium, no this, no that. And, you know, you're like, then what can I eat? What can I consume? And it's, it gets very frustrating because it's like, not only are you missing out on living life, but now you're missing out on enjoying food that you used to enjoy. So it's very almost like you're in jail <laughs> where you have no say or have no choice. You know, your choice is taken away because of one organ. And that's why it's very important, like I said, to have that system because, you know, like I said, you, you have so many thoughts that will run through your mind because there is so much that comes with being a recipient of a, a candidate of a transplant. Most of us at one point in our lives or another have gone on a diet. Mm. I know um, I could use one, another one. <laughs> and people typically cheat on their diets. Mm-hmm. If you on a renal diet, is it okay to cheat on that diet? It's not because what it is, you're basically signing a death wish if you do. So I say that because potassium, for instance, if you eat anything with potassium, this is what, you know, the doctors had told me, if you eat anything with potassium, there was like, um, you need to stay away from that. And I ate, I guess, like a salad with dressing or something. And it was like, oh, you know, don't have that that has potassium. And you could go into cardiac arrest if you, you know, consume anything high in potassium. Even with lower with potassium, you have to be careful because, you know, we get the mindset, oh, it's lower potassium. So we tend to indulge. And, you know, you might as well just have the item that was high in potassium because you've consumed as much low potassium that would equate to the one item of high potassium. So you have to be careful, very, very, really be careful with trying to sneak or trying to um, do things on your own because you're basically just putting your own life in danger. Not only, like I said, you're not going to be qualified to be a candidate, but you can literally kill yourself by not following that diet to the T. Because not only is your organ, you know, the issue, your heart is the main issue as well, because it's not doing its physiological job that it needs to do because they don't have the help of that kidney to be able to filter out those wastes and to be able to continue the cycle of the use of nutrition. As a part of your transplant team, did you have a nutritionist who was assigned to you? Oh, yeah. I had a nutritionist. She stayed on me. She gave me a list of things to eat, a list of things not to eat, of this or that. She gave me a book. Like She provided all the resources that was necessary because it was that serious. I remember, Henry, going to the nutritionist and she asked, why is your sodium so high? 
And I explained to her that we were using no salt, the brand no salt, to season our food. And she let us know that even though it says no salt, it does have sodium. Mm-hmm. And that's why it's important to work very closely with, with that nutritionist, along with the other professionals that are part of the transplant team. Exactly. Will you tell our audience what the function of the kidney is? So the major function of the kidney is to filter out any toxins or waste that's within your body. So if those toxins or the waste that is within the body is not being filtered out, you can, it just stays there. It just stays afloat in your body, which can put you at into basically sepsis, which means it's like an internal like um, infection. So that's why we urinate. And that's why it was, oh, another thing that they very, really stayed on is to track your BP and to track your urine output and fluid intake. Because, oh, blood pressure. Because let's say if you drink a liter of water in a day, but you only peed out, you know, a hundred milliliters, that means your kidney function is going down and it's not doing the job that it needs to do. And again, that's for an individual who has chronic kidney disease. Yes. And it can, and it can also happen to, you know, any individual, like let's say if you just notice, oh, I drank three liters of water, but I only was able to avoid 500 milliliters. That's something that you need to be on high alert about because that means that your kidney function is not performing at the level that it needs to. I encourage every individual, especially African-Americans, to talk to their doctors about having a test to determine the function of their kidneys. Mm-hmm. Start out with one test to, to set the goalpost, and then over the course of your lifetime, have additional tests to make sure that your kidneys are continuing to function. Do you agree with that? Yes. The creatinine level will be able to determine that. So the higher the creatinine level, which is basically like a marker that kind of displays on how well your kidney is functioning, the lower it is, the better. Um, But the higher it is, that means, okay, you got to be on, like I said, high alert. You got to take some really, you know, aggressive action towards this because it can be reversed if you, if attacked early, but if you wait too long, like, oh no, I can fix that myself, blah, blah, blah you can put yourself in the state of having to have a rejection. I heard a medical professional describe it something similar to this. The kidney is like a coffee filter. And I know, I know I'm ancient Henry. (laughs) I'm not talking about a pod, a coffee pod. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Or a K cup. Uh, The kidney is like a coffee filter. Mm-hmm. more sugar and salt that you add to it, the more likely that the lining will wear and it will leak sugar, salt. In this case, it will be protein. And if mm-hmm. you're leaking protein, that's not a good thing. Exactly. And that's what I saw. Many of the symptoms I experienced after the second rejection 
when I would void, another thing they would say, not only to um, measure what you're, you know, voiding, but also what's the color look like? Is there any substances within that, within that urine? And I've had plenty of times when you had, like you said, there was protein within the urine, which means like, it looked like it was a bunch of like lint almost. Uh, that's like the best way I can really describe it. It was just very, it was just a lot of stuff in it. And you could see that. That's a good way to describe it. Symptoms can be different on an individual basis. That's why individuals should talk with their medical professionals. Right. Henry, all major religious entities that I'm aware of support organ donation. How has your faith in God assisted you on your journey to wellness? It has helped me a lot. I would say more so on the um, the latter half of my life after 13, 14 years old. Um, because like I said, you have bad news after bad news after bad news. And I was getting admitted almost every time I went to the doctor for a checkup. And, you know, you needed something or someone to be grounded in. And yeah, you have your family and friends, you know, they're good and all, but faith, my faith in God really, really helped me because as I would read um, the passages or scriptures while I was in the hospital, it gave me the hope that I will be healed because I read of the many healings that Jesus performed. So I'm like, you know, if he could do that for them, he could do that for me. So I no longer was in the depressive state. Um, I was very much accepting to it, to everything that was going on and happening, all because, you know, my faith in God was, was present during that time. You talked about the healings of Jesus and the importance. You make me think about the woman with the issue of blood. Mm-hmm. She'd gone to the doctors and she spent all that she had. Right. But at the end of the day, it was her faith in the Lord that healed her. Yes. And I was encouraged by Lazarus. If Jesus could raise a man that had been dead for four days, what could he do for a kidney that was functioning, but not functioning to its greatest potential? Mm Mm-hmm. That's pretty powerful. Another thing that I did, I had index cards that I placed on the bathroom mirror. And each day, I would quote those scriptures as I was preparing to get ready for work. And that was a tremendous blessing. In fact, Henry, if you go into my bathroom right now, Mm -hmm. see those index cards there. (laughs) (laughs) whatever helps <laughs> talking about a perpetual blessing <laughs> yeah <laughs> some of the the terms that you used were missing out not feeling not normal and that's where uh mental health comes in you use the term food jail can you tell me what role does mental health play in recovery it plays, I would say, a pretty optimal role in the recovery process. I would say your mental health or state is not as bad as um, before or during the actual process. 
because now you're in the state of relief. Now you're in the state of, okay, I'm healed. I have a kidney that's actually working and functioning and you will do everything that it takes to make sure that you keep that kidney up and running. So I would say you, you start to, I guess, kind of almost come to yourself after that transplantation, because now that you're kind of close to as what a healthier individual um, is, and you don't have to like be on a machine every day. You don't have to be on a strict diet anymore. Yes, we're, we still have to watch out for what we're eating, what we're drinking and all of that. Because like I said, you can't have too much calcium, caffeine. I mean, can't have too much sodium because, you know, like I said, that can take a, you know, hit at your kidney. You only have one. But overall, I would say you progress for the better mentally once you receive that transplant, because it gives you that, like I said, that sigh of relief. Let's talk about the elephant in the room, Henry. Okay. African-Americans are least likely to be donors. However, African-Americans are the greatest demographic that need a life-saving transplant. Perhaps you and others have seen the horror movies or heard the misinformation that's circulating regarding signing up to be an organ donor. And those include, if you're a donor, if you've signed the back of your license, if you've gone online and signed up to be a donor, they're going to let you die. What would you say to someone who has received that misinformation? I don't believe it. (laughs) Um, I would say anything that's related health-wise, always consult the doctor or a primary about because they're the ones that have the actual facts regarding being an organ donor. I would definitely encourage, especially within the African-American community, but really anyone that's eligible to be an organ donor. You can do, you know, kidney, eye, skin, um, tissue, any anything that is trans, and that's basically almost all your organs that can be transplanted to another individual that is in need, I would say go for it because it saves many lives. Um, even me, like if I, when, when I, when I went to the DMV, they asked, you know, do you want to be an organ donor? I say, yes, let me be an organ donor because the life that I was able to, you know, finally live after the third transplant um, is very rewarding and it's and it's you know it's something that i always hold dear to so i would like to give pass down that that feeling that i have or the opportunity that i was able to get to give that opportunity to someone else that's in need because you know like i said especially within the african-american community um you have many that are unfortunately passing away because they weren't able to receive any type of kidney or skin or liver or pancreas or whatever transplantation. So I would say in order to save our community, if we're, you know, if you have those that are, you know, I'm about the community, I'm about the community, that's one way I would say that you can give back. Thank you so much for being with us on today, Deacon Henry Young. We appreciate you sharing your story of transplantation. In 2022, more than 42,000 patients received kidney transplants. Each year, more than 85,000 individuals receive their sight. 
More than 2.5 million people receive their healing annually because of tissue transplants. Friends, you can't take your organs to heaven. Heaven knows we need them here. If you'd like to register as an organ, eye, and or tissue donor, you may go to registerme.org. That's again, registerme.org. It's fast, secure, and only takes minutes. Today's podcast has been produced by yours truly, Elder Corey Bellamy, with our special guest, Deacon Henry Young. Our editors are Sister Satoya Clanton, Sister Tynika Harris Coronado, and Brother Howard Harris. God bless and stay safe.